First, let's remember what profits do, okay? So first, uh, we just mentioned this a minute ago, but we've been studying the book of Hosea. Uh, people are chosen by God to speak on behalf of God to his covenant people, okay? And we see this through the repeated phrase of declares the Lord. There's a message from God going through the prophet to God's people. Usually in the prophets, God is calling out his people for a specific sin or a specific rebellion or multiple ones. The idea here is of a covenant lawsuit, right? God is bringing a lawsuit against his people saying, here are the charges that you're guilty of. Let's talk about them. Let's deal with these charges. The way that they have sinned against God. See, God uses the words and ministry of the prophet to show God's people their sin, to convict people of sin, to show them their need for God, that they would return back to him. God's intention for us this morning is no different. Another way to talk about this is through the concept of discipline. God is our heavenly father who loves us. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to continue in that destructive sin, that he will discipline us in hopes that we will return back to him. Just like we as parents who love our kids, that when they lie to us or disrespect us or do something that's harmful to themselves or others, we discipline them to teach them. That's not okay. We tell our kids a lot that sin is going to destroy your life if you keep on going down this path. It's not that we're trying to be a killjoy. It's not that we don't love you or we're trying to take away all your fun. It's because we love you. We want to see what is best for you. And this is what's going on in the time of Amos. God uses a humble shepherd, along with many other means, to discipline his people so that they would return back to him. See, we said earlier that in Amos' day, God's people were in bad shape as a people and as a nation. We read here in the first few verses of chapter 4 that they were engaged in some pretty serious stuff. Oppressing the poor, for example, crushing the needy, abusing the riches that God had given them, the wealth that they had. There we see that in verse 1. We see also that they were participating in empty and prideful religion. We've seen that in our study of Hosea, right? An empty religion in which they're doing the things like coming to church, singing the songs, praying the prayers, but it's not affecting anything in their hearts. And of course, God in his absolute holiness, his perfection, which he swears by, in verse 2, he can't let this go. God is holy. He calls us to be holy, as we said, as we read the law earlier. And so what does he do? He disciplines his people in a variety of ways. And we see this starting in verse 6. Look there with me. God takes away their bread, for example. He says, I gave, or I took away, or I gave you, sorry, a lack of bread in all your places. Verse 7 and 8, I withheld the rain from you. He'd send it on one city and not another city. Verse 9, he struck them with blight and mildew, your gardens and your vineyards. Locusts devoured it all. Verse 10, he sent pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Even killed their young men and carried away their horses. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you, God says. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. 
This is repeated discipline over and over and over again that God does to his people. But despite God's relentless and calculated discipline, the people of God just don't get it. I thought about this. Isn't it crazy that God sets his love? He sets his affection on people like this. He forgives and saves and redeems people like this. It's mind-blowing that God commits to patiently and lovingly and consistently dis disciplining his people. Why does he do this despite the times that we continue in our rebellion? We continue in our sin. And just in case you're wondering, this is not just a, an Israelite problem. This is a problem for you and me as believers. That we continue to struggle with our sin. We continue to be more comfortable than we should with our sin. We play around with it like it's not that dangerous. And yet it is. How many times does, does God discipline us and we don't get it? How many times is it true of us and yet we did not return to the Lord? As that refrain is repeated throughout this text. But going back to the, the idea of discipline, for some of us, God's actions here may seem kind of harsh. They may seem kind of excessive or cruel and unusual. For some of us, we didn't grow up with a good idea or a good example of discipline. We didn't have godly parents who disciplined us in a godly way. Discipline may have been excessive. Some may say, well, my dad used to beat me with a baseball bat or a two-by-four when I screwed up. Or discipline may have been vindictive. Maybe you made me miss my favorite basketball game or my favorite TV show, so I am going to do X, Y, and Z to you. And maybe for others, some other sinful way of disciplining. But while these authority figures in our lives have seen themselves as disciplining us is a far cry from the godly discipline we see in Scripture. Turn with me briefly to Hebrews 12. I want to read just a, a few verses for us to help us because I know some of us didn't grow up with a godly perspective of what discipline is. This is a, a classic passage that talks about God's discipline to us as his children. Starting in verse 9 says this, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who had disciplined us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. How many times have we told our kids, yes, it's going to hurt, it's not going to be comfortable, but what it produces is so much better. This peaceful fruit of righteousness. God disciplines those whom he loves. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. Just like a godly parent, if they didn't love us, they wouldn't discipline us. That's what this passage says. He does it for our good that we might grow in holiness, that we would be spared from going down those paths that only destroy and ruin our lives. That's what godly discipline is. 
He disciplines us, God does, for what it produces inside of us. It produces something good, something helpful in the long run. So going back to Amos 4, when God killed off their crops or made it when there was, there was nothing to eat, he did so out of love. He did all these various disciplines to his people to get their attention and to say, look, you go down this path and you're going to face destruction. It was loving discipline that would reproduce a renewed love for God, a love for holiness and for the things of God. And that's what we see here. But as we alluded to earlier, God's people don't always listen to God, right? God's people before don't always listen to God. God's people today don't always listen to God. That's part of the, the old sinful nature still in us. We still are resistant at times. We may hate it, but we are. We are resistant to the things of God. We don't obey first time when God tells us to do something. And that brings us to our second point here in this text, the ignoring of God's discipline. The ignoring of God's discipline. See, as we you know, go throughout Amos 4, there's no denying that God's people ignored God. They rejected God's discipline. I've been thinking a lot about this phrase that's repeated all throughout this text. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I thought about that over and over again this week. Yet you did not return to me. And I think about how many times the Lord has tried to get my attention. And yet what? And yet I did not return to him. He shows me a particular sin in my life. He shows me something that's going on that, that God hates, that's heinous, that's destroying me and my family or my marriage or whatever it may be, and yet I did not return to God. In each stage of discipline from verses 6 to 11, the Lord lovingly disciplines his people, and yet each time they remain the same. They did not return to the Lord. Like a wayward, hell-bent child bent on defying his parents' will. That's what Israel was like. They did not heed the warning, and it was devastating for Israel in that time, just like it's devastating for us today. One commentator puts it this way, that the Israelites had become spiritually hardened. Think about the idea of a calloused. They were calloused by their repeated disobedience. Each time they rejected God, formed another layer, another hard, rough, protected layer of skin, as it were, on their heart until they began to feel nothing. You know, Santo talks about his dad being a mason, right? And how after years and years of work, his hands were so calloused that they were hard. He could probably barely feel anything on his hands. And that's what our hearts are like as those layers of callus form again and again and again after our repeated disobedience until at some point we don't feel anything. What an awful place to be. I want to ask us this morning, is our heart, is our soul calloused or hardened to the Lord this morning in one way? Or maybe it's on its way to forming those layers of callus one after another. That's what sin does. That's what disobedience does to our relationship with the Lord. It's like a deadly drug that lures us in with excitement at first. 
but then produces something utterly deadly. You don't feel it. Soon you don't feel a thing and it destroys you. So where might you and I need to be softened? Where, we, where might we need to get out that file, as it were, and rub off that callus? What's the heart work that the Holy Spirit needs to do inside of us? Where is he calling us to return to him this morning? I want to challenge you guys to think about that as I challenge myself. But notice another thing here in this repeated phrase, how personal it is. God says, yet they did not return to me. You did not return to me. Remember, even in these times that God is disciplining his people and bringing this lawsuit against his people, he is doing so because he loves them and wants to be reunited with them. But he takes it as a personal affront to him. You did this against me. Their heavenly father, the God who made them, who was patient with them, even in their rebellion and in their whining, who delivered them repeatedly from harm's way. All throughout the Old Testament we see the God who loves them and saves them time and time again. God's saying, you did that to me. How personal that is. We're not breaking some abstract law of an abstract government that sits thousands of miles away from us but rather breaking the law of a loving God who wants our best, our Father. And each time we do, it's like spitting in His face. When we sin, we break the heart of God. And yet, just like in the people of God in Amos' day, we forget that because of our hardened hearts. We don't feel that thing that we do to God. And we continue in our disobedience, ignoring the discipline of God. And this brings us to the very sober and final point of God's warning to those who continue to ignore His discipline. See, this passage is rather, is rather heavy. And it's meant to be heavy. Sometimes we need a hard word from God. You know, we all love the encouraging sermons where we can get up and talk about the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And those are beautiful and wonderful things. We need to talk about them more and more every day. But sometimes we need a hard word from the Lord. That we would be convicted to our core. You know, remember that when uh, Peter was preaching that famous sermon in the, in the, the book of Acts. And what, what does it say? That they were cut to the heart. Sometimes we need to be cut to the heart. So that God can do that heart work to bring us back to Him. To restore us to that beautiful relationship that he promises all throughout his word. See, in these last two verses of Amos, chapter 4, things get real. The gloves come off, as it were. God's people have repeatedly ignored God, despite his attempts to get their attention, and now he says they must suffer the consequences. Verse 12, Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. What frightening words. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. As I read that, I mean, it should send just a, a shudder kind of down our, our bones to say, what is going on here? Our God is patient. Sometimes he is painstakingly patient with us. 
and yet there is a time when he will be patient no more, where in his holiness he must act as a righteous father and carry out the consequences of our disobedience. And this is where we find ourselves in Amos chapter 4. See, this wasn't a last call to respond for repentance. This wasn't a, a uh, uh, here, here's one more chance before I do something. It was more of a time's up. It's time to face the consequences. Listen to these two quotes that capture this idea well. These words contain a challenge. Although the light of grace is not entirely absent from them, here God was calling Israel not to join in a feast of reconciliation, but to do battle. Just as a fighter in an army in ancient times might challenge a fighter of the opposing army to a duel, so the Lord was here inviting the children of Jacob to wrestle with him, just as he once wrestled with their father. And the second quote says this, the prophet was saying, God is on his way in judgment, get ready for it. See, this was a, a time's up. Time to face what's going on. Time to face the consequences, and it's heavy. You know what, unless we forget who the, the duel or the challenge was, Amos ends here with an awe-inspiring reminder of who God is in the final verse. Verse 13, look at it with me. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads the, on the heights of the earth, the Lord the God of hosts is his name. See, God wants to make it very clear who he is. He wants to remind his people, in case they have forgotten, this is who you are dealing with. He created them and everything on the earth. He sustains them. He has given them their daily bread. He has the power over all of his creation. So as one commentator pointed out, just in case there's any doubt that God has the ability and resources and power to carry out his discipline, he does. He is able and he will do what he promised. Because that's our God. So as we sang that, that chorus earlier, our God is an awesome God, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Our God is an awesome God and we sing that joyfully and say, yes, God, you are awesome. But also in his awesomeness, he will carry out his judgment against sin. In his holiness, he will carry out the, uh, the act of being a righteous judge against those who discipline or do, disobey his law. So when we face discipline on account of our stubborn sin, God wants us to know that it is he who disciplines us. He is saying, I've done this to you, Israel. I am the one who is behind this. These are not random acts of evil. These are not random bad things that have happened when they don't get rain three months before harvest. It's me trying to get your attention. It's part of God's plan. And so built into this warning to Israel in their disobedience is a warning to you and me that we cannot make light of our disobedience to God. So often... We kind of chalk our sin up to not being all that bad. We say, you know what, I'm not as bad as the next person, right? 
I'm not as bad as the person who's a little bit lower than me, doing a, a little bit worse than I am, and there's always someone I can point to that's doing worse. That's not the way that God sees it. We can't just say, oh, God's going to show his grace. I'll ask for forgiveness later. Never in the Bible do we see kind of this laissez-faire attitude towards sin. Pastor Santo preached Romans 6 two weeks ago. That wasn't the attitude in Romans 6, was it? Should we continue in sin so that grace can abound even more? And what does Paul say? No, we should not do that. We should fight with all the power that God gives us to to fight sin, to not live in sin, by God's grace and for his glory and by his help, but yes, to fight sin. But sin is serious. Sin messes everything up. You know, maybe we, as we, even as I was listening to the prayer request, don't you just get tired sometimes about how sin messes everything up? There's sometimes you wake up and you, you get a text from a friend or you read the headlines, the news, and you just, just are, are heavy and burdened by what sin has done to our world. We live in a broken and fallen world because of sin. And yet God is trying to call his people out of that to say, look, this is only going to bring you hurt and pain. He wants us to be restored to him. Well, maybe in one sense, as you've listened to this sermon, you might get the thought that as a Christian, you can get to a point of no return in your sin and your rebellion. Maybe to where God has just said, you know what? Forget it. Enough of your mess ups. All you get is judgment. And of course, God would totally be justified in judging us for our sin. We know what we deserve, right? We know that the wages of sin is death. We know that we deserve to be in hell forever, separated apart from God for all eternity because of what we have done to Him. And God would be totally justified in doing so. But in a passage like this, you may ask, where's the second chance to repent? Is there a point of no return on repentance for God's people? Where's the grace? You know, we just celebrated Easter. And we remember at Easter Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. We remember that Jesus took on verse 12 here for us. You remember what verse 12 said? Jesus took on the wrath and the fury of God. The warning prepared to meet your God fell on Jesus. He did meet God in all of his wrath, in all of his fury, in all of his judgments for every single one of our sins. He met that for you and me on the cross. Not because of his sin, but because of ours. That's the great news of the gospel. So even for the people in, in, in uh, Amos' day where they experienced a temporal judgment, right? They experienced uh, 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 the, the things that God was saying he was going to do. They experienced that. But those that were really trusting in God, those who were really trusting in Jesus, those who are saved, they will not face that eternal wrath of God because of what God did in Jesus. And the same is true of you and me. And yet as Christians, we can forget about all that 
sometimes, and we can go back to our old way of life. What we used to do and what we used to be like, we can lose sight of God. Sometimes things become hazy. Sometimes a lot of bad circumstances happen in our life and we find ourselves in some bad places. We, like Israel, can begin to do the things that God hates. The things that hurts the heart of God. And despite God's repeated warning and repeated discipline of us, we may be calloused and not returning to the Lord. And I think one of the things that the passage here for uh, Amos, Amos 4, this passage for us is that we need to be reminded that sin is serious. That sin is not something to be played around with. That when God tells us not to sleep around with, with someone that's not your wife or your husband, he means it. And he means it for our good, not just because of, of some of the things that it will pr produce in this world, but because of what the eternal effects would be of that. See, the message here is for us not to become comfortable in our sin. A right understanding of the gospel should lead to a vigorous per pursuit of holiness. Just like we saw in Romans 6. When we realize that God has forgiven us, that he has taken that penalty for us on our behalf, that should make us wake up every day and say, you know what, I want to be the person that God has saved me to be. The person that he is making me to be by his grace each day and every day. I don't want to play around with sin. I don't want to become callous. I don't want those layers of callous to go over my heart where soon I don't feel anything to the Lord. This passage is meant to sit heavy. Yes, we are meant to, to go forward and look at the grace of God through Jesus, but it's also for us to look inward and to ask God like we did in Psalm 139 in our confession, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there is any grievous way within me. And turn me to the way everlasting. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your hard words in Scripture sometimes. Father, the prophets uh, in the Scriptures have much to say to us about the seriousness of sin the seriousness of our rebellion, how you discipline those whom you love, how there are consequences to our sin. And even though we're forgiven, there are still consequences at time for our sin. And yet, we are reminded this morning of the grace of Jesus. That in Jesus, we have the full redemption through his blood, that we're forgiven. And so, God, we pray that you would please, because of that, help us to have a, a vigorous pursuit of holiness in our lives, that we would care deeply. Maybe there's a, a place that you've been working on our heart this morning, and God, I pray that you would please help us to listen to that, uh, that probing that you're doing in our heart, and that we would follow in our obedience. God, protect us from being calloused. Protect us from being hardened. Anybody here this morning, Lord, that is running down that path of destruction, I pray that you would stop them. That you would uh, allow them to return to you, Jesus. They would know what life really is. I pray that we would hear your warning. God, that we pray that the people of our city would hear your warning. That they would flee from the wrath to come. And they would know the grace of Christ. 
the freedom of Christ, the joy of a life with Jesus. We beg of that for our city and for ourselves. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.